All right, will you take your Bible, please, and meet me in uh, Acts chapter 21. Acts 21. When we left off last Sunday, near the end of chapter 21, the Apostle Paul had just been uh, falsely accused. He'd been uh, mercilessly beaten and then arrested by a Roman commander. All of this occurred in the city of Jerusalem. Uh, It was during the last leg of his third and final missionary journey as recorded by Luke here in the book of Acts. From this point on, in Luke's account, from this point on, Paul will be a prisoner. He will appear before both Jewish and Roman authorities before finally arriving to, uh, to Rome to bring the gospel to the heart of the empire, to really what was the heart of human civilization at that time. Uh, So what follows in chapters 22 through 26 is a series of five separate defenses uh, as Paul appears before five separate entities who attempt to assess the situation and uh, and decide his fate. I want to take these five episodes one by one, beginning this morning with Paul's uh, statement to those in Jerusalem, who had just turned on them. In this passage, as we will see, uh, he shares with them the story of his life before Christ, briefly, uh, the story of his conversion to Christ, and then the story of his call from Christ. I want to consider these components with you. And what becomes quite evident is, is that the tapestry of Paul's testimony is, is, uh, is woven with the thread of God's unexpected grace. And it's this that I want to consider with you from this text today. So let's read it today. Let's read it now. Acts chapter 21. Uh, I'm going to begin in verse 37. And then I'm going to continue through verse 22, uh, through chapter 22, verse 22. Okay, Acts 21, 37 through 22:22 Here we go As Paul was about to be brought into the barracks he said to the tribune that's the commander May I say something to you and he said uh, Do you know Greek Are you not the Egyptian then who recently stirred up a revolt and led the 4000 men of the assassins out into the wilderness Paul replied I'm a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no obscure city. And I beg you, permit me to speak to the people. And when he had given him permission, Paul, standing on the steps, motioned with his hand to the people. And when there was a great hush, he addressed them in the Hebrew language, saying, brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. And he said, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus in Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God, 
as all of you are this day. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women, as the high priests and the whole council of elders can bear me witness. From them I received letters to the brothers, and I journeyed toward Damascus to take those also who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. Now as I was on my way and drew near to Damascus, about noon a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me, and I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now those who were with me saw the light, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, Rise, go into Damascus, and there will you, be, you will be told all that is appointed for you to do. And since I could not see because of the brightness of that light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came into Damascus. And one Ananias, a devout man, according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, he came to me and standing by me said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour I received my sight and I saw him. And he said, The God of our fathers appointed you to know his will and to see the righteous one. And to hear a voice from his mouth, for you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And now why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. And when I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance and saw him, Jesus, saying to me, Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And and when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. And he said to me, Go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Up to this word, they listened to him. Then they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for our time and your word today. And I would just pray for each one of us. I would pray just a prayer of blessing over us, that you would bless us by opening our hearts to the truth of your word, unstopping our ears, even opening the eyes of our hearts to see the wonders of Jesus even again today. Encourage us from your word, strengthen us, teach us, challenge us, and give us all that is necessary, all the faith necessary to be obedient doers of it. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So this scene opens with Paul. He's been arrested uh, by, by this Roman commander. We learn in the next chapter, in chapter 23, that this commander's name is Claudius Lysias. Uh, and Claudius ordered Paul to be taken into custody 
for further questioning. This Jewish crowd had become so violent against Paul that the Roman soldiers had to physically carry him into the barracks. We know from last week that the mob intended to kill Paul, and even now, still they cried out against him, saying, away with him, away with him. And they're not just saying, hey, I want him removed from this place. He's saying, I want, they're saying, I want Paul to be done with forever. I want him to be away, dead forever, away. It's amazing to me, though, how Paul is just amazingly persistent. And even as he's being taken away, he, he asked the commander, actually we're told that he begged the commander to speak to the crowd. And when granted permission, there on the steps of the, barrack, of the barracks, probably still bloodied and breathless from their beating, he motioned to the people. Luke records that in that moment a great hush fell upon the crowd. Paul began to address them in their language in Hebrew, which grabbed their attention even further, and he appealed to them, notice, as brothers and as fathers, as if they were family. And he urges in verse 1, Hear the defense that I now make to you. The word defense here is the word apologia, it's, uh, it's from this word where we get the idea of apologetics. So when we talk about the study of apologetics, this, I'm sharing this because it took me years to finally understand this. I remember when I was a new Christian. When we talk about the study of apologetics, we're not talking about apologizing for your faith. Uh, we're talking about how to defend your faith. It's about a, a defense of your faith that, if it were me, I wish the Greeks would have used the word defensia, but they use the word apologia, so uh, apologetics is about defending your faith in a persuasive, well-reasoned manner. And so Paul begins his defense, notice, by showing his opponents that he, he, he was one of them. Showing them just how Jewish he, he is. And even how proud he is of his Jewish heritage. So proud that he was an expert in Jewish religion and had once been an ardent defender of it. He starts with just a very quick biography in verse 3 I am a Jew born in Tarsus and raised in Jerusalem. Uh, I trained under the tutelage of Gamaliel. Now Gamaliel was the the most prominent rabbi of his day, a high-ranking Pharisee, um, a leading member of the Jewish Sanhedrin. He was a man of great influence among the Jews at that time. Everyone present... I imagine that every single person present in that crowd that day would have immediately recognized the name Gamaliel and approved and affirmed his stellar reputation. So, to be educated at the feet of Gamaliel would be like 
learning piano from the best pianist around, or, or learning how to cook from the world's greatest chefs, or learning business from the sharks on Shark Tank, to be trained in Jewish belief in the law and prophets by an expert like Gamaliel. Now that meant something. At a minimum, it verified Paul's Jewishness. That he was as faithful a Jew as any and as zealous for God as they were. He was such an ardent defender of Judaism that when Christianity was born, when people began to follow the way of Jesus Christ, Paul would would track down and persecute them even unto death. This is what he's telling the crowd in verses 4 and 5. He's saying, listen, I get you. I was one of you. Not only that, but as your high priests and your own elders can testify, I was authorized by your leaders to find and bind anyone who followed the way of Christ. And I delivered, personally, I delivered these Christians, as they are called, both men and women, I delivered them to you to be imprisoned and punished. Now, we were first introduced to Paul back in chapter 7 when Stephen was executed for following Jesus. Paul was there. Paul stood by, approving of the execution. He was called Saul back then. And beginning with Stephen, we're told that a great persecution arose against the church in those days. Luke records in chapter 8 that Saul was ravaging the church and entering Uh, house after house and dragging off men and women and committing them to prison. In chapter 9, just before his conversion to Christ, we read how how, how Saul was, was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples. And so here we are now, years later, Paul's looking back on those days and he's pleading his defense, trying to convey this point. That listen, I didn't just disagree with Christianity. I actually led the charge against Christians and the Christian movement. Maybe like C.S. Lewis or Lee Strobel or countless others throughout church history, Paul is an early example of someone who initially tried to disprove Christianity only to see the wonders of Christ for himself. And I'm sure that you can think of an example even in your own life of something you once opposed but now support because of your faith in Jesus. You see, something completely unexpected took place in Paul's life, which he began explaining to them next. One day while heading to Damascus, a city just outside of Jerusalem, to find and bind even more Christians, he was struck by a great light from heaven. 
And this light was so bright and powerful that it blinded him and it, and it knocked him to the ground. Even more powerful than the light, though, was the voice that came from it, the life-altering, course-correcting, stop-you-in-your-track voice of the Lord Jesus. And Jesus says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? To which the voice answers, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. And though we won't spend much time on this this morning, I just want you to see how Jesus identifies with us so closely and with such love that that when we suffer, He suffers. What shall I do, Lord? Paul continues in verse 10, and when Jesus told him to continue to Damascus and, and wait for further instruction, Paul says that he had to be led into the city by the hand of those who were with him. Now, meanwhile, in Damascus, there was another Jew, also devout, named Ananias. And just as Jesus unexpectedly interrupted Paul's plans that day, so did Jesus call Ananias with some unexpected instruction. Ananias was already a Christian, and when Jesus sent him to Paul, you remember he initially recoiled at the thought. You see, he had heard, he had heard about Paul slash Saul. He knew who Saul was. He knew what a threat Saul posed to the followers of Jesus, but Jesus told Ananias to go to see this man Saul and to lead him to faith in Christ. And when Ananias saw Saul, Saul received back his sight and was told that, uh, that God, told all that God had appointed him to be uh, a witness for Jesus from that day forward. And so what are you waiting for, Saul? Paul remembers Ananias saying in verse 16, Get up. And call upon the name of the Lord Jesus. Do it now. Be baptized into Christ now and receive God's forgiveness now. And we just have to pause to say how amazing is this grace. Here was Paul, an enemy of Jesus by his own confession not just neutral toward Jesus, an enemy. An enemy of those who followed Jesus. He beat them. He bound them. He imprisoned them. And he even helped kill them. And now he could be forgiven? Just like that? Just by calling on the name of Jesus? Doesn't he have to go make amends with all those families he disrupted? Doesn't he have to make some public statement of sorrow to all of the bad things he did? No. Just like that. Just by calling upon Christ. Because the gospel of Jesus Christ 
declares that he who knew no sin bore your sins, every single one of them, without exception, to restore you to God and to empower you to live in the power of God's love. Paul's sins were many, but God's grace was more. You can only imagine what the Jewish crowd must have been thinking that day as Paul relayed this story, the story of his conversion. But whatever they thought, whether good or bad, maybe even indifferent, all of that quickly became secondary to what Paul said next. In verses 17 through 21, he began to move from his conversion to Christ to Christ's call upon his life and ministry. He said that after coming to faith in Jesus, he returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple one day when he fell into a trance and he saw a vision of Jesus urging him to to leave Jerusalem, to leave the city as as quickly as, as he could because according to Jesus, the Jews in Jerusalem they weren't going to accept Paul's testimony. They just, they just wouldn't accept this change in his life. They knew him. They knew who he was and what he did, how he went from place to place persecuting Christians. They knew how he approved when they killed Stephen. So maybe, maybe like some of your friends, some of your family members, some of your colleagues who remember who you were before you became a Christian, how you behaved before you became a Christian. Maybe, they, maybe, maybe those in Jerusalem were like that for Paul, that they just aren't willing to accept you as a Christian now. They weren't going to accept this transformation that had taken place in Paul's life. So go, said Jesus, uh, because I'm sending you to the Gentiles instead. And when those in the crowd heard this, verse 22, they just went ballistic. Luke writes, that, Luke writes that up until that point, they were actually listening to him. They were paying attention. They were following along. They were taking it in. Maybe they were reassessing their assumptions. But when Paul said that God sent him not to the Jews, but to non-Jews. That was more than they could take. So they went into a frenzy. The next few verses describe how they were shouting. (laughs) They're throwing their cloaks. They're flinging dust in the air. I mean, it's a total meltdown. 
And they begin calling for Paul's life once again. Get this guy off the face of the earth. He doesn't even deserve to live. Now what's happening here? And what are we to make of all of this? I think what was happening is that their paradigm was being completely deconstructed by the unexpected grace of God. Not only did Paul's conversion and call to ministry surprise them, but their own expectations of God were also being challenged in new ways. And I believe it's worth considering these things in view of our own lives and our own expectations. When it comes to your conversion experience, remember that Jesus came into your life much like Paul's when you didn't expect it. Conversion is always unexpected. Always. It's never earned. Never something we can orchestrate, even for those who grow up in the church or in some form of religion. Paul was very religious before he came to Christ. Very religious. He believed in God. He was zealous for God. But he was not saved. Not until he came to a place in his life where he placed his trust in Jesus and not in his upbringing, not in his education, not in his self-righteous behavior, not in his own good works. I think of the parables of the hidden treasure and the great pearl found in Matthew chapter 13. A man unexpectedly found a treasure in a field and then sold all he had to purchase that field and secure that treasure for himself. In a similar manner, the, a, a, a pearl merchant in the next parable, to his great surprise, one day discovered the one pearl that overshadowed them all, and he, just like the first man, sold everything to secure that pearl for himself. Now, there are many, many uh, applications uh, uh, and implications of these two very small parables, but, but I think what we see here is that for some people, the road to Jesus is like the man in the field in which you come to faith in a completely unplanned moment, almost by accident, if there was such a thing, and instantaneously, instantaneously, you see Jesus for the treasure He is. The eyes of your heart are just opened, and now you're seeing Him as you never have before. Others, like the pearl merchant, they come to trust Jesus perhaps after years of searching for that something in your life that you know is missing. Like you know there's something missing. Like deep down in your soul, you know there's an ache in your soul that you're trying so hard to fill. 
And then suddenly you discover the wonders of the gospel of Christ. And it's like that pearl that overshadowed them all and is worth everything you've got to have it for yourself. Either way, whether in a moment when you were least expecting it or after years of trying to fill the void, it's always a surprise. Always unexpected. Never deserved or planned according to our timeline. For me, I was 16 years old in high school during my junior year. It was through a a life group, a home group, hosted by our Christian neighbors next door. It was my very first visit to that group. You've heard the story. It was as I opened the Bible, and for the first time in my life, I truly believed that the words of this book were written specifically for me. That was my Damascus Road experience. I still remember it. Sitting on their living room floor. It was like a light coming down from heaven. And just like Paul, God brought people like Ananias into my life who explained to me more of Jesus and how God was calling me to himself, but none of it was expected. On my part, at least. And I know that many of you have similar stories. Stories about how God came to you at an unexpected time, in an unexpected way, to lavish his unexpected grace upon your life. How many times has God done the unexpected for you? (laughs) Not always in ways that make sense at the time, but always for the better, right? Because after all, if God shows His love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, how many more surprises await us as the life of Christ takes hold of our heart? I imagine that your conversion to Christ took you by complete surprise. As did your call to Christian ministry. Think about this with me. Think back to your pre-Christian life. Like, like do this right now. Like, think back to your pre-Christian life. Now, did you ever imagine yourself being part of God's plan to save the world? And yet here you are. If you are a Christian today, then you have been commissioned by Jesus to share the good news. 
You are his ambassador. You are privileged in this. He could, he could get the message out any way he wanted to. Any way he wanted to. But he wants to get it out through you. And me. And us. Privileged. We're privileged in this way because we've been sent and equipped by God to represent Him and His heavenly kingdom right here on earth, right where you are, in whatever, wherever you happen to be. So as you look back on your life before Jesus, did you ever imagine yourself being an ambassador for Him? I'm sure that when Paul, when, when he was learning the Jewish way under Gamaliel, when he was persecuting those who followed the way of Jesus, I'm sure he never thought that one day he'd be God's chosen instrument to tell people about Jesus and lead them in the Christian way. That's interesting to me. This dawned on me this week. You know, we would not have planned it this way. I don't think we would. I don't think, I, I know I wouldn't have not have planned it this way. If, if, if this was up to me in terms of uh, I was going to choose Paul's ministry, I was going to send, I was going to give Paul a call upon his life and send him out. If that were all up to me, uh, I would have sent him to the Jews. I mean, Paul was supremely equipped to minister to the Jews. And yet God sends him to the Gentiles. And here's Peter, as we learned back in chapter 10, Peter receives the vision of God's grace to the Gentiles, and he sends him to the Jews. So both Paul and Peter were surprised by their respective callings. Neither one, uh, neither one of them expected uh, what God had planned all along. Which brings us to the issue of our own expectations this morning. It's absolutely true that we all have expectations. And I think if, if we're honest and a little bit vulnerable and transparent... I think it's absolutely true that every single one of us sitting in these chairs this morning, we all have expectations of God this morning. What God is doing, what God will do, maybe even what God should do. Those in the crowd here, they certainly did. The idea that salvation is through faith in Jesus was more than they could bear, but that God would send a Jew to share this message with non-Jews, that was incomprehensible. That just did not fit. That did not compute. To the Jews, the Gentiles represented everything they were against. Everything they were against. 
They were worldly. They were ungodly. They were not the chosen people. Jews looked down on non-Jews. There was deep-seated prejudice. There was racism in play. Therefore, the Jews made assumptions of themselves. The Jews made assumptions of the Gentiles. The Jews made assumptions even of God. Here they were, zealous for God, and yet unwilling to receive God for who He truly is. There's a lesson for this, for us in this. In effect, they were zealous for their perception of God rather than God. Is it possible that we are guilty of the same even today? Zealous for our perception of God more than God. Andrew Sutherland in an article for Bible Study Magazine writes, In a statement of defense before the crowd, Paul puts the unexpected on display, showing that neither he nor God is who the crowd thinks. Paul's gospel to the Gentiles, in fact, comes from within the Jewish faith, from the same God the people are so zealous to follow. By making this argument, then, Paul challenges the crowd's understanding of God and of themselves. Can I state the obvious? You do not have God figured out. You do not have God figured out. No matter how much you think you do, you don't. The Bible and history itself is full of examples of how God is seemingly always surprising even those who think they know Him best. So whatever expectations you have of God today, and let's be honest, you have them. Whatever expectations you have of God today, please make sure they are God's expectations and not yours. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as high as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. I wonder then, maybe, what if, rather than setting expectations for God, What if we asked what God expects from us? Those of us who have experienced a true conversion to Christ and thus we've been called by Christ must humbly accept the fact that God is not bound by our assumptions of Him. 
And this means that each one of us must be open to the possibility that God may do something new and unforeseen in your life. He may teach you something that you once rejected. He may send you somewhere that you'd never choose yourself. He may put you in a situation that makes no sense to you at first. And God expects that we trust Him and obey Him that He knows best even if we don't understand what He's doing. And for those who hear these words today, but maybe you've not yet placed your faith in Christ, I just want to say that your response should also be one of humble trust and obedience. God has revealed truth to you today. He's revealed Himself to you today. And so the question really is, will you receive it? Will you receive Him humbly and come to Christ in the recognition that He is Lord and you are not? Just like Paul did. You know, when Jesus appeared to Paul in that moment, Paul was willing to accept that everything he had assumed about Christ up to that point was wrong. So rather than fight against Jesus, he came to trust Jesus instead. And I just want to urge you to be like Paul in this way. Maybe this is your Damascus Road experience. But don't be like the crowd who heard about these things, yet in their pride and refusal to receive what God had made clear, they spurned the opportunity that was graciously made available. And so from his life before Christ, to his conversion to Christ, to his call from Christ, the tapestry of Paul's testimony is woven with the threads of God's unexpected grace. We see it in the way he became a leading member of the Christian movement he once tried to squelch, in the way that Christ saved him and forgave his sins, and in the way that Jesus sent him to share the good news of this gospel with others. And so church... May we go out from this place this morning knowing full well and full confidence that the God of the unexpected is likewise working His saving, His sustaining, His sanctifying, and yes, even His surprising grace in us, in you even today. To God be the glory. Amen. We thank you for our time today, God. 
just pray that you would impress these truths upon our hearts and lead us. Lead us whenever and wherever and however and to whomever you choose. And give us grace to trust and obey. Amen.